You are now tuned into the Anxious Ambition Podcast, where you will be hearing raw and unfiltered conversations with those who struggle with mental illness, but refuse to let that get in the way of them achieving their dreams. Our hope is that by hearing their stories, you are inspired to do more. Here are their stories. Anxious. Ambition. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Anxious Ambition Podcast. Today is the first episode for season two. Now, this episode is going to be a little bit shorter. It's just going to be kind of an intro on, you know, what season two is going to be all about. And also kind of give you a little life update, um, what's going on with me and where I've been, you know, over the last you know month or so. Um, you know, firstly, let's get into what season two is going to be all about. You know, this, the next 10 episodes or so are going to be all featuring male guests. You know, it, it's really important that more men start talking about mental health you know with the popularity some would say of you know talking about mental health and how it's definitely becoming less and less taboo you know personally i see mainly women um, out there you know talking about their mental health talking about what they're struggling with and it's great you know it's amazing that there are tons of women doing this, but, um, and even look at, you know, uh, anxious ambition, most of the followers on YouTube and Instagram are mainly women, probably, you know, 75%. But, you know, I think what I can do as a man, you know, with the connections that I have is to bring on more and more stories from bunch of great guys who are out there pursuing their dreams, um, even though they've had their own struggles. You know, they're gonna be coming from different walks of life, black, white, rich, poor, you know, people that are trainers, therapists, coaches, you know, athletes, potentially rappers, you know, we're gonna try to get on as many guests as we can from different walks of life, um, just to show you just more and more people that are doing, doing big things and have had their own struggles and continuing to struggle and how they continue to pursue their dreams. What do they, you know, what practices they do, what, you know, th- what do they do in therapy? Just the goal is for you to continue to hear more and more stories so that you can continue to realize that you can do anything you want to do in life. Despite all this shit with your mental health, whether it's about a depression or it's, you know, major depressive disorder, um, anxiety, OCD, bipolar, severe trauma, PTSD. Um, and I'm not bringing on these guests just to get more male listeners. Honestly, it's just to get their stories out there. And for the women out there, please, please do not like just not listen to the season because it's all women. I mean, look at last season, um, all, all, all females. And I know all of you learned a lot from it. So, you know, some of the, some of the statistics that I'm about to read off is one of the driving factors of me wanting to make this season all about um, having all, not all about men, but having more men on the show. And uh, some of these statistics are like really shocking. And uh, so 
Well, for one, one out of 10 males suffer from anxiety or depression. Now, to me, that number is probably even low because this is a poll, meaning there's a lot of people that probably didn't even say if they had anxiety or depression because of that stigma, not only around mental health in general, but for men, you know, men are supposed to be this strong, you know, figure that doesn't show emotion and things like that. And being strong doesn't mean that you need to hide your emotions and, you know, not seek help when you really need help or just, you know, man up. Like people say, you know, men suffer, women suffer, we all suffer. And, you know, it's all okay to get help, to seek the need that you, you know, may be in need of. And, um, it's just more men experience anxiety, depression than you think. Um, some of these other statistics are even more shocking. Um, more, so three and a half times the amount of men are dying from suicide than women. Now this obviously isn't a competition. This is, it's crazy to hear this. Um, I have my own theories, you know, part, partly I think it's because you know, men are afraid to talk, afraid to get help, afraid to, you know, even just, just acknowledge what's going on. You know, they feel weak dealing with, you know, acknowledging it. But a big reason why, you know, some men do get help and I think feel more comfortable is because they, you know, let down those walls, become vulnerable and, um, and hopefully hear more and more people's stories that will help that situation. A um, couple more stats. Six out of 10 people, or six out of 10 men have experienced a traumatic incident in their life. Six out of 10. I mean, that's, that's crazy to think about. And how many of these people have just buried that trauma down, buried it deep, where... They haven't faced these traumatic incidents. It's just, it's sad to really think about, you know, and um, just sad to think that so many men and people in general are suffering in silence. And unfortunately, I think this is why it's leading to these high suicide rates. Um, Just hoping that, you know, this conversation even alone might help people get, get some help. Just realizing these numbers, it's wild. A um, couple more things. Uh, actually, just one more main thing. It's so this one's just forty nine percent of men are suffering much worse than they are telling people. Um, I you know this hits home personally. Um, you know we're men. You know we're told men are supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be the husband, the the rock. You know the shoulder to cry on sometimes we have our own struggles and we don't want to admit that because it makes us seem weak or seem like oh you're being a bitch you're being a little baby you know suck it up you're a man your life's just fine you've got a family you've got you know a job you've got a house over you know a house to live in you've got all these things and people say these things to 
demean your mental illness or your mental health struggles. And I just want you to know that you can have a quote unquote perfect life from the outside looking in, but your brain, your mental illness doesn't give a shit. It doesn't matter. You could still have these things and you could still struggle on a daily basis, despite how quote unquote successful you may appear to be. No one person can be um, like no one person is not going to get depression or anything because they're uber rich or they, um, you know, do all these good deeds. And the point I'm trying to make is none of us are, you know, able to avoid all this. Like it, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen and it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to have our own struggles. It's okay to get help. You know, for me, um, I want to get into a little life update about myself before we kind of close this out. Again, this isn't supposed to be anything crazy. This is just a, a simple introduction to what season two is going to be about. I wanted to tell you guys all about that. You know, all of our guests are going to be men. We're going to spread awareness for mental health, not only for men, but obviously everyone in general. I think it starts with more people talking who are um, outside of the norm, outside, you know, the, the minority in, in this. Um, so just a little life, life update about me. Um, and I'm telling you this too. I, I just want to start off. I'm not, I'm not looking for any sympathy. I'm not looking for petty. I'm not saying this to, you know, again, not, not for the sympathy of it. I'm telling you guys all this because I've been here before. I know other people have been in my shoes before. I know someone out there can relate to this. And now what I'm going to say, it might not necessarily make things easier knowing that someone else is struggling. But what it does do is it allows you to realize that you are not alone. There are other people struggling with it. You know, I wasn't getting, you know, the validation from my parents or my siblings that I needed. And so like, that's something like I'm still working on in therapy. It's just like, you know, not being validated. Enough. But I, I think I made some comments about just self-harm to my best friend and that, you know, made him very scared. Mm -hmm. And so he told his mom and then his mom told my mom and then that's when my mom found out. And that's when she signed me up for therapy. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, like I've always been a very open person, you know, I always want to try out new things. And at the time I didn't know, like there's, you know, a stigma between, you know, seeking, you know, help from mm -hmm. a professional. And so I think that's also kind of, you know, why I still started therapy it's because I didn't know about the stigma at the time and started therapy. It she was a good, like, she was a good therapist, but we just like, again, like we didn't connect, you know, we didn't like really have many things in common. Although she gave me some very good coping skills and some like recommendations, like say for example, like lavender, mm -hmm. like, you know, I didn't know about lavender like at the time. And she's just like, Hey, try this out. You know, this will help you just kind of keep you calm and like help you sleep at night. And so, you know, that's something that like has stuck with me and like, you know, I still use, but more general yeah. stuff though. Nothing like personal is just kind of like, I don't want to say just general shit, but basically, you know, like stuff that could work for everybody, but not like for you, you know, specifically. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, 
you know, all right, I'm going to throw out all these recommendations of things mm-hmm. you can do rather than, you know, us talking and, you know, me starting to like unpack things that like I've been through and like, you know, obviously the grief of my sister. Mm-hmm. So I think that I just suddenly I just stopped that. And then once I moved away to college, I started seeking services at, on campus at UD mm-hmm. and built a really great relationship with a the therapist there. And then unfortunately she left my s- junior year. And then, so it was like, okay, well, damn, like, what am I going to do now? Like she's mm-hmm. gone, she's not in Iowa anymore. So my English professor, um, you know, her daughter is a therapist. And so we got connected and I knew from that first day, like we were going to be great together. Like, that's awesome. And so I was doing that like once or twice a month and I really should have started off going weekly, but sure, still kind of scared, honestly. Mm-hmm. So before, before your sister passed away, what did you have any like mental health, you know, issues or anything like before that? And this kind of, you know, you see a lot of the time, like the trauma, these big traumatic events really just, you know, either, you know, awaken like the depression, the anxiety, whatever it is, seems to be really be like a launching point for a lot of people. It's like, oh shit, like I do have some things to work through. Yeah. So, you know, I did not know what mental health was until I got to rightfully so. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Like everybody. And it's sad. And it's sad. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, I really think that like mental health should be taught like in schools. And honestly, like I've been seeing a little bit lately about teachers, you know, in middle school and high school are kind of mentioning, um, you know, mental health. Like I just mm-hmm. hear from, you know, friends and like their brothers and sisters are like in school and they were telling them like, oh, hey, I learned this today. And they would tell me. And I was just like, you know, that's awesome. Like, I'm, you know, really glad to hear that. But I, I guess looking back, I can definitely see that I did deal with, you know, definitely depression. I've always, that have always have been like my biggest battle was depression. Mm-hmm. And I've always like had experienced, you know, numerous times, like just sadness. And I was very uncomfortable. Like I had lack of energy with doing anything. And it was kind of part of the reason why I fell off of baseball, even going into high school was because of my depression. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt like an out, an outsider. Um, by that, like I just I hated like everything about me, like all my physical features, like you know, even like my skin being black. Like mm-hmm. it was something like it was a battle. The majority of the like kids at my school, like they were white. Right. And Did you grow up in Iowa? No, so I grew okay. up in Rock Rockville, Illinois. Okay, yeah, and honestly, yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Rockville, Illinois. I went to pretty big school but Mm -hmm. there was like there was more white than you know there was black Mm -hmm. and i mean it was a one race it's the human race so i'm not Mm -hmm. biracial i'm not mixed with an an alien right 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 exactly i'm 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 mulatto which mulatto is the mixture of cultures right is a a a caucasian parent and and a black parent okay and so like now i'm all about pushing that because i see how many more kids there are out there like me who struggle with those same, those same uh, stigmas mm-hmm. of you're not black and you're not white. Um, even on my podcast, one of my other co-hosts, he's mulatto. And he dealt with the same thing. And he had a brother who was really good at basketball. My brother was really good at basketball. I mean, I did 
football was my main sport, but I was at a higher level in volleyball when I was in the USA pipeline, mm-hmm. but I'm playing just like pop Warner football, but I'm the star. And so kind of fighting that off going about it. I think that's where it really got to. Okay. No, that makes sense. And I, I also don't think too, like if people are like labeling as one thing and the other is bullshit too. Like it doesn't like, I don't think people yeah. look at me like, Oh, Hey, he's white. It's like, it's not like I'm Justin, you're Larry. Like, we're fucking yeah. people like you said it doesn't like eh, i don't know it's all fucking bullshit no, which it, honestly it, yeah. it's it's craziness um but i mean like people say don't judge a book by its cover and i always tell people at the same time like i call bullshit because you have to judge a book off of its cover because you have to know what you're getting into before you get yeah, to it so i understand people see me oh he's black but then they talk to me and they realize I'm not okay. Now that label has to change. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, really what I am and who I stand for and what I'm about. And that's when it goes like, I'm all good with anybody seeing like, Oh, he's black or he, he, hell, I used to get confused when we were playing back in high school and club, when we would have the Puerto Rican teams there, they would think I was Puerto Rican. I could see that. I mean, you, yeah, you do, they would, you do kind of look Puerto Rican. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. Right. And they would come up to me and start speaking Spanish. And I'd look at them. I'm like, bro i don't know what you're saying i'm black <laughs> like i'm not i'm not puerto rican bro like i appreciate the love but i don't understand you i'm sorry yeah um so like we all have these labels and labels just help us get a brief identity of what we're looking at and it's not the end all be all i think it's those who take those labels and they keep you in that label and don't want to move you i think that's where we really fall into the problems that's fair it's really fair Let's talk about uh, motivate a little bit. You want to tell everyone what that is and you know what it's all about, why you started it? Yeah. Um, so motivate is a podcast I started um, just a couple months, month after George Floyd was killed. Um, I had a buddy reach out to me who's a white coach. Um, he was the head coach that I was working with at the time. And he was like, "Hey, like I think this would be a great time for you to like talk about what it's like to be black and in the sports. Like I think you're the ideal person to do it because." I don't know of anyone else who could bring together this many people and have a conversation and be able to do it. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like whatever at first. And then I like reached out to my buddy Theo, who, but she didn't, she had to take care of me. She had to take care of me for a while. You know, I was an, a, an investment, a long, long investment. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I mean, <sighs> why'd you stop drinking? I- because I, I was just in so much pain, physical pain, bro. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go one day without drinking. I could not go one day. So at a certain point, so once I, once I got the DUI, cause that's 2016, mm-hmm. I didn't stop drinking until almost exactly two years ago. So 20, it's about to be 22. So yeah. almost, yeah, 19. Yeah. So there's a few, there's a, there's a, there's a period. So I would stop for a little bit and then I would, you know, I'd try to go for a couple of days. I couldn't go more than like, a day you know so there was a point where i was just like like i need to i i i was so mad that i just couldn't make it more than one day mm-hmm. so then i'd make it two days so for me it was like all right i just got to make it two days and at this time i'm not an AA type of guy and which is why i mean i wish i would have been i guess i still could be but like you know i wasn't i had to do it okay i went to AA before i got the dui because my manager thought i should i got in there i'm sitting there i'm sitting there with people who my mom you know, was a part of the Manson family. She was one of the wives and I was doing heroin at 11. To me, I'm just like, 
my you guys are all like doing crack this mm-hmm. and that you know i did i did like bad stuff back in the day i'm just drinking so it is this is fine like i don't need to be here so left didn't go back until i had to go back legally mm-hmm. um and then i like in my dui class not the aa i actually learned like i participated you know people probably didn't like me because i'm raising my hand you know and like mm-hmm. so i was actually trying to to learn but i don't think i still wanted to really stop them but what really made me stop was yeah when i couldn't get past one day so i'd get past one day i'd get to two i'd messed up go back to zero and then like you know every day i'm in i'm going to get a i'm drinking six beers a day a lot of times you know and not eating a lot either right. um so for, for many years i didn't eat that much i just drank i really drank so when when i quit drinking i'd crave alcohol like mm. i wouldn't i'd get hungry and i'd want beer and that happened wow. for like a long time but yeah, so I did it on my own, which I would not suggest. Like, I just would not suggest it. Um, but I made it. I made it four months, and then I went to Mexico for a photo shoot, for beer photo shoot. <laughs> and we weren't in like Cancun, you know. We were in like here. We're gonna pay. We have to pay you guys off. We have to pay you guys off. It was very stressful. We're in a bad situation. We're being followed for mm-hmm. miles. One time, it was not. It was. It was not good. And long story short, I drank, I'm got, I got hammered there. So mm-hmm. I made it four months and that feeling of getting home and like having to start over, that was the worst, that was the worst feeling ever. And then after that, I was, that was it for me. Like, that was it. Like, I like, cause I mean, think about it. One day was so hard for me to make. So once mm-hmm. I got the four months and messed it up in Mexico, I was just, I was mad. So when I got home and had to start over. That was it. That was what. That was it. Well, it sounds like that's like when you you were ready to stop because yeah yeah you got to be yeah, ready. So it doesn't matter what everyone else says or the trouble you get in. It's like if you're not ready, it's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. I, I wasn't ready. Um, yeah. So even when I was trying to stop, I yeah, I don't think I, I might. I probably wasn't ready. You know, I was trying to, but I didn't have that. Like, there was never that time until four months where it was like. Mm-hmm. I can't do this again, you know, so. Fuck. Well, I'm glad, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you for getting through it, dude. For real. I know it's- I was a therapist for a long time. I only went like three times. And, mm-hmm. but I was able to get a lot of tools mm-hmm. out of that. And so me being very self-aware has been huge. And I really feel like, whew, that is, that might be one of the hardest things to be, is to be very self-aware of what's mm-hmm. going on with yourself. Um, but yeah, it, it just that the anxiety piece, that was one of those things like I never felt before. And then um probably about two years ago, two years ago, November, um, like I was depressed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was yeah. like, yo, what's like what's this deal? And now mind you, in college I would get like this sometimes too. Um, and how I would explain it is mm-hmm. I felt always tired. I didn't want to really talk to nobody. I, I have like, even though I'm really extroverted, I have like introvert tendencies at times, sure. yeah. but it would be like to the point where it was like almost like antisocial mm-hmm. um, to like, I don't want to isolation. Yeah. I thank you. Perfect. Yeah. yeah that's exactly what it was. Just, Which I is just wanted to be by huge myself. Side effect or a symptom of depression. Like, right. Like, like and, looking um, back at it. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, at that time I was just like, why am I feeling this? Like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't even want, I would nap in the day. I, <laughs> I got so much damn energy. I do not nap. Yeah. 
ever. I mean, it's cool if people do, and that's great, but like, I'm not a napper. So I know when I start, and that's another thing for me where I'm like, if I start napping, I'm like, ooh, let me, let me kind of get back. Let me see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Let me take inventory, you know? And, um, but yeah, like I said, like that was the first time I had, like, I felt depressed. And I was like, what's causing this? And, you know, just, you know, as I was evaluating stuff and I would write stuff down, like, yo, what is this? Like, why is this happening with this? And a lot of stuff would be things that had happened earlier in my life were rearing their head later in the form of isolation, you know, where I felt, you know, I had a lot of love, obviously, in my, in, on my family side, but I always felt kind of isolated, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd be like, ooh, that's a, that's a trigger right there, okay? Um, something about, like, maybe I didn't feel good about myself. Um, I was a kid, like, even though I was, <laughs> I've always been pretty damn confident, <laughs> but there is, <laughs> but there, but there are plenty of times where, you know, when I was younger, like, I was kind of like a goofy, like, weird kid, like, just always, like, just la, 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 having fun and stuff. But people make fun of me a lot of it, and I would take it to heart. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, nowadays, like, do not get jealous. <laughs> but it was even stuff like that, like the inadequacy that I would feel. All of a sudden, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's because you feel like nobody understands you. Um, and it's just like those little pieces and being able to really kind of dig more into my mind that all of a sudden I'm like, okay, so this is why these things are happening, especially on like being depressed as a whole. What are you going to do to get out of it? Right. You know? And I know for plenty of people, therapy is, is a very effective way to do so. Because a lot of times, you know, and you know this, and, yeah. and I imagine a lot of your audience does is a therapist is somebody who is a neutral party who can help sort out what's going on in this cabeza. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, pretty. Yeah, that's it. It's true. There's a lot of times, and I feel like a lot of people don't value that aspect that your family and your friends, more than likely, even if they are pretty damn neutral, are going to have a bias. Because they love you. They care about you. I knew for myself, I had to go to somebody who, like, I don't know you at all. I just want you to hear kind of some of the stuff that's coming out of my mouth. And then off of that, you can be like, ah, so when this and this happen, this happens. And for me, that was, that was a huge game changer. And really also being able to develop that um, almost those strategies of how to get myself out of it, you know. Even something as recent, shoot, right around uh, Thanksgiving, I went through it. Thanksgiving, this year, I swear to God, I would have chucked my phone out the window. (laughs) Days where I don't want to get out of bed, I'm going to have days where by two hours into work, I've already had three anxiety attacks and I've been crying in the bathroom. Like, I'm going to have those days, but I'm also going to get back up. And I'm going to go back into my office. and I'm going to go back into my life. I'm going to conquer it because... Like you said, it's like you don't beat mental illness. You don't beat it. Mm-hmm. And um, you just live with it. You survive with it. It just becomes like your bad angel on one shoulder. And the good angel is all the things that you build up, your toolbox. Yep. And so, like, it's just, I don't know. I, 
I think, uh, well, first of all, I want to say, I didn't know you weren't on the medicine anymore. That's awesome. Oh, How has you. that um, transition been? Honestly, it's been um, very up and down. Um, yes. You know, just honestly to speak on that, if you are someone, you know, that's been, I, so I've been, I mean, I took medicine when I was like 18, didn't really know what I was doing, wasn't taking it right. So that doesn't really count for me. But like the last like six years, it's kind of been like on and off, um, things like that. But for me, I mean, the withdrawals can be horrendous. I mean, you know, it's, you might get off it because of some side effects you're having, but you need to realize that I see realistically the next four to six weeks to eight weeks, you're going to feel fucking worse than you did when you were on it, you know, but like for me, I do like for me that for me, the reason why I got off on this, to be completely honest is the side effects were outweighing the good for me um, at that time. Um, The emotional numbness that it gave me was not, for it it became too much um, yeah and not it's not all like that it's not like, there's some people that they start taking a medication and they're they feel great and they're good you know it's just different so i'm not saying this to scare people away because meds probably saved my life at, at times um because sometimes meds when you take them you're able to kind of it gets you at a baseline where you can actually function yes. and then start learning like honestly like that's how i built up my toolbox was okay, now I feel like I, now I can function because I wasn't able to do anything. You know, I was, yeah. and it, it's not like, again, it's not like I'm anti it. I just don't feel like I needed it today. And I want to try, and honestly, we are trying to start a family. And part of it was that. And I was like, you know, if, if we're going to start that, try that, I want to try getting off of it. And it's, it's a journey. It's like, okay, now you got to go back into like, okay, got to get the supplements, right? We got to, we got to exercise. We got to journal. We got to do all these things because you can't just rely on that medication anymore. Um, but I still have an issue with serotonin because of, you know, your brain chemistry. Exactly. It's just my brain chemistry. So it's like finding ways to increase it where my baseline is better. You know, that's kind of it for me. It's like, I've, I've accepted it my wife's accepted it, you know, everyone accepts it that like, this is who I am. Um, But if I can get to a point where I'm able to function, which, you know, I'm functioning, we're good. But like, I'll tell you two days ago, I woke up and I was just bawling my eyes out, you know, like, it, it just it still hits you. And like, yeah, but I will say I was able to cry. So it's like, you know, like, and I wasn't able to do that before. So it's like, honestly, I know I'm kind of going back and forth, but that's how it is. Like there, you weigh, you, you weigh your options and uh, yeah, things like that. No. So. Well, shout out to you for being, you know, aware with what you need. Mm, thank you. I kind of have the same experience with medicine. Mm-hmm. Like I have more questions before we kind of wrap it up. Um, one thing I want sure. to ask you is how do you, and I always think about this with therapists, how do you deal with, I mean, with hearing, I mean, your sessions, you're hearing other people's problems, their issues. How do you not have that affect your mental health? <laughs> or do you? I mean, Actually, you know, harder yeah, than, no, yeah. well, I, it, it does. We yeah. um, determine the field as vicarious trauma. Okay. It, it very much affects because those are the thoughts that are swirling around in our head sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's like replaying any kind of 
depending on how we, um, I, I like how we evaluate that in our own brain, you know, in, in terms of intensity for us, uh, is, is sort of how troubling that becomes. And then that does affect, you know, I, I bring, I would bring that into, um, the next interaction with maybe a, my roommate mm. or a romantic partner. And it's like, Oh shit, that sorry. You know, yeah. Tough client today, you know, mm-hmm. didn't mean to bring that in. Um, it's very similar to, uh, how the stress of the job might carry into the, the home life mm-hmm. of like a nine to five, something like that. But so with that vicarious trauma, they do, they, they, uh, they, the, um, like Adler and, um, other institutions and anyone training future clinicians, mm-hmm. um, would give you what we would call the self care plan. Self care plan is interesting. <clears throat> it's like, okay, it's not just self care, right? It's not <laughs> just, uh, and I say that because like, it's such a buzzword. Yes. It's such a freaking buzzword. But the way I look at it is, um, through this article, I forgot the authors, but it's, um, the article title is creative counselor, self care. I share it with my coaches. I share it with, um, the other clinicians that become the interns at the, the mental performance program. Okay. Um, and anyone that is looking for a more robust way to take care of themselves. And it's it, within the article, they describe this model. You've got the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of your life. Each one of those deserves care, needs the care. You can look at them maybe as like a battery and they got to be recharged. You can look at them as like a bank. You got to deposit mm-hmm. into that bank to make sure they're all topped off because anytime you got an interaction with somebody, you're depleting some of that. Or anytime you interact or do anything, you're depleting some of that. Mm -hmm. From there, become your activities, physical activity, exercise, walk, Tai Chi, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mental, you know, is it um, about some of the thought stopping? Is it about maybe um, some of just the noticing of the thoughts? Is the mental more of like a brain game or a puzzle or something, you know, um, stimulating in that sense. Is it a book, um, emotional, uh, do we need the, the therapeutic sessions of our own? Uh, do we need the good cry? Do we need the rage room? Do we need, you know what I mean? What, yeah. what do we do with our emotions? How do we take care of our emotional well being? Is it through, um, good, honest, emotional connection with a significant other and just talking through that mm-hmm. to get those out on the table so we can look at them? Um, and then spiritual, you know, is it the religion? Is it the meditation? Mm. Is it the Reiki? Is it a float tank? Right? Like, is, is it, um, is it the yoga? Cause that would also sure. hit the physical. Yeah. And then from there, it's like, they encourage you to go and have a set routine that does not falter week by week within those four categories. Right. Monday, Wednesday, lift yeah. Tuesday, Friday, yoga. Sure. Read a book for 30 minutes every night. That's it. Start small. Then they encourage you to go to the five minute quick fix. Okay. Today's a shit day because Mm -hmm. something unexpected just happened, which is fine. That happens. Mm -hmm. What's the five minute thing that's going to keep you moving? Is it a quick walk around the building? Is it petting the dog? Is people want to talk about? Um, mental health and how they're helping to strike out the stigma surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, other ways I've coped are 
just by being creative. You know, when I, when I can be creative and come up with a series like that, um, it allows me to, to put away the anxiety, to, to put away the, the negative thoughts that kind of come in, those intrusive, repetitive mm -hmm. thoughts that we all get from time to time. Yeah. Um, in the bipolar mind, that's really de detrimental, you know, because they, they just don't go away. You know, they, they sit there and they fester and they go over and over again, like on a loop. It's like watching this one clip from a movie on a loop and it's like, all right, this is getting old, <laughs> you know? Yep. So that's one way for me to kind of cope with it, um, is by just allowing myself to be creative and come up with things. Um, another way I'll, I'll play music, you know, that's a huge escape for me. Um, I love listening to jazz, okay. you know, and jazz kind of helps kind of calm me out, you know? And so I'll play jazz while I'm working. And in fact, it was playing up until we started recording. It's a good idea. Very smooth. Yeah. yeah I never think about that. Very, yeah. yeah. very smooth, relaxing yeah. music. It is. It is. And it's just, you know, that's who I am. You know, it's classy, stylish. It's, it's timeless, you know? So I love listening to jazz. Um, other ways I've coped is, uh, if I like, if I'm having trouble sleeping at night, I'll play, um, like I've got this relaxing music that I play. It's cool. What is it? I don't know what it's called. If if I think of it, I'll give it to you to put in. Yeah, notes. absolutely. But um, I play this like relaxing music that doesn't have lyrics. It's just sounds and mm -hmm. music. Um, and that's one way that I can get myself to sleep. Um, or a weighted blanket often helps too. I you may have heard that. Oh, yeah. That's a big thing with anxiety is a weighted blanket it really helps so i mean that's just a few ways that i've learned to cope with things mm -hmm. and you you have to find ways that work for you Absolutely. it's a very individualistic type of thing when it comes to how do i cope with this like there's not what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you and what works right. for you isn't necessarily what works for me you know so You've got to you've got to kind of figure it out and navigate for yourself on this journey. What are some ways that I can cope with the anxieties that I'm struggling with? Whether it's intrusive thoughts, obsessive thoughts, pervasive thoughts, you know, what's you've got to kind of centralize it and focus it, realize what's going on inside, and then figure out a way that's going to help you abate those things. So that's awesome. I'm glad you brought up like part about stuff not working for certain people because honestly even the way to blanket so i have a way to blanket i love it but there's times where it, like if i'm having a heart like some of my anxiety um it's like physical symptoms so tight chest hard time breathing you throw away a blanket on yourself well fuck now i can't breathe at all right so <laughs> yeah but, but like you know people it, it don't take like try a way to blanket, try it. Like you need to just keep trying and trying and don't give up because like this mission, you know, to live the best life you can with these illnesses, like that's part of it. You have to work and try and try. And the perfect, the perfect example of the way to blanket, it's like, I have one. It's great. Sometimes yeah. it is the last thing I need. <laughs> exactly. And right. that's the thing. What works for you in certain instances mm -hmm. isn't going to be that always go to you know, die hard thing. It, for, for me, sometimes a way to blanket doesn't work. A, a hot cup of tea will, Yeah. you know, and that soothes my insides. 
it gets rid of the tightness in the chest. I can do some breathing exercises, do some meditation, all that kind of, I mean, you just have to find what works for you. And so mm -hmm. he's an expert in that field, but when it comes to mental health, like I'm, I don't have a degree, anything like that. Like I'm speaking 100% mm -hmm. on research that I've done myself and my own experiences. And so we're like all the advice we can get, like, let's absorb it. Let's soak it up. Let's try to incorporate everything that we hear. Um, and so we did those events over the summer and then, um, yeah, I think we're just, one thing we really want to try to start doing is kind of like jumping online with different teams, maybe like reaching out to coaches and be like, Hey, could we give a presentation to your whole team or mm -hmm. maybe like a whole athletic department? Maybe we can go do, um, yeah, like go to a high school and just get the whole athletic department and do like a presentation, kind of like a rundown of what we, what we all talk about. Yeah. Um, cause I think one of the biggest things that, that we talked about was when you go and play, especially in, I think college is the best example. Like when you go and play a college sport, you get two presentations at the beginning of the season, you get the title nine, like the sexual harassment and all these things. Mm -hmm. And then you get the, um, doping, like, Yep. performance enhancement those are the two presentations you get at the beginning of the season there's nothing about nutrition there's nothing about recovery there's nothing about mental health yep. when you go and even when you go and get a physical when you go and get your required physical they only check they don't check anything about your mental health or anything like that we're like this needs to really change. i mean there yeah. should be a presentation to athletes saying like at the very bare minimum like here are the resources Mm -hmm. right or here's the people that you can contact here's a hotline here's you know just something so prehistoric. anything really yeah, anything prehistoric what, what yeah they're just trying to get you not break the rules yeah then, exactly right. yeah and yeah. and going through and reaching out to a bunch of different colleges and seeing how many colleges don't have a professional either sports psychologist therapist on campus for athletes to use or even like a nutritionist like i went to a yeah. division one school and i didn't have that i didn't have a sports psychologist mm -hmm. and so i'm like if, and i'm thinking like if i didn't have it then i highly doubt like d2 d3 no. naia club sports high school like they're not going to have that stuff and so yeah we're we're kind of just trying to to mix that up and kind of just get people talking about kind of changing these different things. And then um, I think our biggest um, goal, which I think is probably pretty long-term at the moment um, mm -hmm. is to kind of create an app that kind of just brings everything together, you know, kind of just a bunch of different cool. avenues on there. One of the big, I think one of the main pieces we want is you kind of go on this app and you can get contacted with a therapist, like a professional right away online. Um, we want to like create ways to make it more affordable for athletes. Cause I think that's a big one. Yeah. You know, if you're a college athlete, right. Like you don't have time for a, a job, like you're in yeah. school and sports, like, and I mean, therapy is hundreds of dollars per right. session. And I'm like, Hey, you're not going just once. Like, yeah, exactly. Like right. you're not going to be better after just one time. And it's going to be hard to, to say like, can I really afford, I don't know, 500 to a thousand dollars a month on, on therapy, like I can't afford that. No. And so right. we want to make it more affordable. We want to make it more accessible that, um, you, know, you can do it online. Um, we kind of want to create almost like a, um, not really more of like a, so, but I guess like a forum kind of 
kind of where you can go in this forum and you say a community you, know, you can yeah yeah like a community where you can go in there and say i'm a basketball player i'm a college sophomore i'm experiencing anxiety and then you can have somebody else like or you know maybe it's a volleyball player that's experiencing mm -hmm anxiety around an injury and I can jump on there and be like hey man like let's talk let's chat and because I think that's one other um I think a lot of athletes would be more receptive to talking to a, another athlete than maybe a professional because talking to a, a therapist can be intimidating for a lot yeah. of people they're like oh, yeah. I don't know if I really want to go that that whole route but if right but if it's kind of more almost like talking like to a teammate then I think mm -hmm. that that's there's a lot of athletes out there that would be a lot more receptive to that. And maybe that's the push they need to say, Oh, it's not that bad talking about this stuff. Like maybe I will go see exactly. a therapist. Maybe I will go get help. Um, and then of course we want to add in, you know, like nutrition in there too. Um, we want to be able to, to um, kind of like make meal plans, I guess, based on different sports um, and recovery as well. Like we want to add a bunch of different, like mobility seminars, uh, flexibility, different things like that, like how to maximize sleep, like all these different things. And we just want to create this kind of interface where you're an athlete. You can just go on there. If you want to chat about the anxiety you're having, mm -hmm. if you don't know what to have for dinner that evening, you can jump on there. If you have a huge game coming up and your body's not feeling good, like maybe your shoulders bugging you jump on there. So you're having like, you can find one of these resources. Um, of the anxious ambition podcast. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Follow us on Instagram at anxious ambition. You can actually watch this podcast over on YouTube. Lastly, check out our website, anxiousambition.com, where we have all of our merch and a portion of every sale is donated to NAMI and it helps support the individuals and their families who are suffering from mental illness. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, take it easy. Anxious. Ambition.